Omai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. My special guest today is a Baptist minister who says he's been making good use of words for the last 35 years and also says that he doesn't believe in prayer. Really? Keep listening to find out if that is absolutely true. But first, let's have some music. And earlier this month, we celebrated the 150th anniversary of the birth of one of England's major composers, Rafe Vaughan Williams, whose exquisitely beautiful Lark Ascending is consistently at number one in the most popular classical music chart. He also wrote ballets, operas, symphonies and music influenced by Tudor melodies and English folk songs. Throughout his life, he believed passionately in making music as available as possible to everybody. He wrote many works for amateur and student performance, and he was an adjudicator at our own Manx Music Festival. But it's just a few of Rafe Vaughan Williams' many hymns that we're featuring this morning sung in a very pure and unadorned style by Maddie Pryor. Come down, O love divine, seek thou this soul of mine, and visit it with thine own honor glowing. O comforter, Ah! 
Vaughan Williams' composition Come Down, O Love Divine to the tune Down Ampney, sung for us by Maddie Pryor. And there'll be more of the composer's music later in the programme. Incidentally, Vaughan Williams wrote his first piece of music for the piano when he was just five years old and continued composing until very close to his death at the age of 85. Now, if the name of today's special guest is familiar to you, it may well be that you've heard him sharing a thought for the day on BBC Radio 2 or leading Sunday service and prayer for the day on BBC Radio 4. He's Reverend Richard Littledale, and to use his own description, he's been making good use of words for around 35 years. Richard's just retired as pastor of Newbury Baptist Church in Berkshire and recently made his first ever visit to the island, which is when I had the pleasure of meeting and talking with him. So let's begin by finding out a bit more about exactly how Richard has been making good use of words. I was once described by a four-year-old as that man who stands at the front of the church and talks a lot. So, yes, I've said a lot of words over those 35 years. Richard, what drew you into ministry? That's a really interesting question because I had always, in my early 20s, been a very outspoken critic of those who go directly from university into the ministry. And then the Lord called me to do it. (laughs) And I felt deeply, deeply convicted that this was the way to use my skills. And I can remember to this day the feeling of walking out of the University Careers Advisory Centre, having cancelled all my job interviews. So deeply did I believe that this was the path I was meant to follow. And it's proved to be the case. Had you grown up in a faith-filled family? The honest answer is no. I was not brought up in a Christian home. I became a Christian at the age of 16, initially through the work of the Gideons. I came to faith through the Gideons and then Crusaders, which is now Urban Saints, but the same organisation. They nurtured my faith and uh, at the age of 16 I came to faith and was baptised as a believer. How did you start to live out your ministry then after university days? So I started off as a ministerial apprentice. So I applied to become a Baptist minister and the ministerial recognition committee, as they're called, very wisely, I think, said, no, you need more experience. You need to get some experience and come back to us. So I was then apprenticed for a couple of years. I then went to college and did my training part time and then moved on from there to different churches along the way. And using words, preaching skillfully, sincerely and intentionally. But then it's moved out and you are well known on BBC Radio, Thought for the Day, and on other radio stations. So how did all that develop? I had done my initial degree. I then had to do another degree to train as a Baptist pastor. Some people just don't know when to stop, do they? (laughs) Because a few years later, Spurgeon's College started a master's degree in preaching. And when I first heard about it, I was rather of the attitude, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I was then away on a retreat day and felt deeply, deeply convicted by the parable of the talents, that if this was a talent God had given me, it was my bounden duty to make the best possible use of it that I could. So I went and did the degree. Uh, The year after graduating from that, I was asked to go back to the college and preach the sort of example sermon of a particular technique for the students, which I duly did. Following on from that, uh, St Andrew's Press approached me and said, if you'd like to work with us, we'd like to work with you. Will you write something for us? I did that. 
And then a couple of years after that, the College of Preachers, for whom by that stage I was a tutor, came and said, look, we've been asked to do Sunday worship on BBC Radio 4, and we've decided we'll have three preachers preaching for three minutes each on the same passage in different styles. So we did that, and uh, somebody said, after hearing me on that, oh, you should go on Radio 2. So I wrote to uh, Terry Wogan's producer at the time, actually, who very sweetly, after many weeks, came back and said, well, look, I can't do that for you, but uh, the late night shows with Janice Long and Alex Lester might well have a slot for you. And uh, that's where it started. So I then began doing them for Radio 2, and then after a few years uh, started doing them for Radio 4 as well. Now, it's easy to say that in in a sentence, but it's a big, big thing to do. It's very challenging because you haven't got a lot of time. You're reaching a really diverse audience. So how do you start? Do you know, when I was first given the task of doing it, I spoke to someone who now, in fact, is a bishop who'd done it for many years. And I sat him down. I said, look, I've been given this opportunity on national radio. What do I do? I was expecting some very sage piece of detailed advice. And he looked at me and he folded his hands and he said, just listen. That was his advice. He said, just listen, because then you will pick up the stories going on around about you. And it was very good advice because radio is an act of listening. So if you are listening in order to produce it, then it puts you in a sense on the same wavelength as the, as the listeners. And it proved to be good advice because that, that sort of approach is rather different from what I do now with Radio 4. The stuff on Radio 2 was very anecdotal. I mean, those were two-minute slots. And so, yes, it was a case of finding a, a nub of real life around which a spiritual truth could could be set, if you like. And it was a case of finding the way of doing that. And I loved the challenge. And I was very fortunate to work with some brilliant producers who would never accept less than the best. You know, I had a producer who would pull me up, not just on a word I said, but a syllable. And so I don't like the way you said that syllable on that word, do it again. Now, that's never happened to me in a pulpit. (laughs) People don't tend to jump up in the middle and say, hang about, what are you saying there? But it's so good for you as a communicator to be in an environment where somebody is going to say, no, you can do that better. And I, I am unspeakably grateful to all the producers I've worked with who have skillfully brought out the best in me. And, and in fact, one of those producers, I can remember to this day, her saying to me, tone is king. She said, you know, an average script can be made brilliant by a good tone and a good script can be ruined by a poor tone. And that's true in conversations, it's true in the pulpit, it's true in life. And I think the other thing is, at one stage I was doing two minutes, pause for thought on Sarah Kennedy's show. So that was an audience of between half a million, three quarters of a million people. And you had to make those two minutes count. What I then found was that if I had 20 minutes in the pulpit, it was forcing me to make those count even more. Because having had the rigorous training in the studio, you then thought a bit more about the day job, if you like made you think more carefully about it and that's a good thing. Radio 4 is that that's more of a service like the daily service format? Yes so the main thing I do on Radio 4 now is daily service which goes out at quarter to ten on a weekday morning 
I occasionally do Sunday worship. That's more of a sort of 40 minute program and quite different skills for the two of them. Again, I've been very blessed. There's one particular producer I work with on daily service who has an astonishing knowledge of choral music. So I can write the script record the vocals and he then has a touch of something little short of genius in terms of choosing just the right music to meld with it hard work but do you enjoy it oh i absolutely love it absolutely love it and one of the reasons for taking early retirement from regular pastoral ministry is so that i can give more time to it i do love that particular work i love the challenge of radio and i hope to do more of it yeah and the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him, King of glory now. Tis our Father's pleasure, we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty Music from the pen of Vaughan Williams and the voice of Maddie Pryor. My special guest this morning is Reverend Richard Littledale, who, in addition to being an accomplished preacher, tutor and broadcaster, is also a writer. He's written books on preaching and on communication, as well as a number of children's stories, and he's even collaborated on a musical venture called The Note. But one of his most recent publications has been inspired by the worst of experiences, the loss of his beloved wife, Fiona. They were married for some 30 years when Fiona died after a seven-year battle with cancer. Can we talk a little bit about that, Richard, please? Yes, I mean, I can remember probably about two months before Fiona died 
we talked, as we often did, about the future after her. Uh, and she was happy to do that. It probably helped both of us. And she gestured to the bed around her with the pillows and the oxygen machine and all the rest of it. And she said, well, you could always write about this. <laughs> and I did. You know, I started off at the time I was running a blog. And the week after she died, I was out for a walk. And it struck me that it felt like being a foreigner where you don't quite fit in. You don't quite get the rules of how things are done. And it seemed to me I was in a familiar place and yet there was now this dissonance that that familiar place was actually unsettling and unfamiliar. And so I started to write what I called postcards from the land of grief. And there was such a response to them through the blog that I then turned them into a book. And uh, there are, I think, about 100 postcards in there. And it was very deliberate that it wasn't an attempt to articulate the grief process. It wasn't a book about how to do your grieving. It was an honest, raw, unedited account of how it felt to go through it. And sometimes I would write three postcards in a week. Sometimes I would write one every three weeks. But that was very deliberate that I didn't force the pace of that. And they were then assembled into this collection. And I think it's that rawness that people have felt drawn to, actually. It's very, very unedited, really. In the same way that a postcard is, you know, when you're staying somewhere overseas and you say, oh, I saw the funniest thing today, and you write it down. Not the same as a letter. It's not the same as a book. It's a postcard. Now, when you lost your wife, you were still still a Baptist yes. minister. Yeah. That must have put extra pressure... It did. I mean, the church were incredibly kind. You know, people did surround me with kindness of all different sorts. Nonetheless, people can't help expecting you as the ordained minister to be somehow better able to cope with this than other people. They think that you've got some secret formula, you've got access to some higher power. And in a sense, we all have that access. But that was difficult. That was difficult because I felt there was an expectation upon me to deal with this better than I was able to do. I've had some very interesting responses from people on the edge or outside the edge of the church to the postcards book. I remember meeting one man who in his youth had applied to be a priest and it had never happened. And he said, oh, I would never have expected a man of the cloth to be as honest as you are. Well, that's the only kind of man of the cloth I can be. <laughs> that's the kind of ministry that I believe in. But it's very interesting that it's particularly those on or beyond the fringes of the church who find that to be particularly resonant, that kind of honesty. Reverend Richard Littledale, my guest today, was here at the invitation of the Island Spirituality Network, and the morning he led for the group was entitled I Don't Believe in Prayer. Do you really not believe in prayer? Oh, of course, I, I pray a lot and I believe that it works. I believe in God and therefore I pray. I don't believe in prayer as a means of strong arming him into doing what I want. I don't believe in prayer as a form of incantation that makes things happen. I don't believe in prayer as a, a recipe akin to you know Mary Berry's recipe for whatever kind of cake it might be and you just do all the steps and then it comes right 
all of those things fall far, far short of the definition of prayer in my view. And that's why it troubles me a little bit when people will almost trumpet, I believe in prayer. And I want to say, well, you know, surely you believe in God and you happen to pray. Maybe I'm splitting hairs, but I think there's something to it. And I think we've all got a huge amount to learn about this. My previous church, I was involved in a scheme for a five million pound redevelopment. And, you know, there was lots and lots of work gone into it, uh, lots of research. We got to the stage where we were discussing it in quite some detail with the council. And as a result of that, we had to pull the plug on it. And I remember talking to one of the members of the sort of steering committee who'd taken this through. And I said, look, we cannot hammer on heaven's door asking for guidance and then feel disappointed when we get it. We have got it. And now we change our plans accordingly. And I'm in an interesting situation just now. I have taken early retirement from pastoral ministry. And about two weeks into the sabbatical that started that, I had effectively two interviews lined up for two jobs. And neither of them resulted in anything happening. The first, clearly it wasn't right. The second, they decided not to have the job at all, let alone having me to do it. And I think five, six, seven years ago, I would have felt incredibly disappointed by that. This time I felt, OK, if it's not those things, then it's something else. I will wait and see. And I think that the, the journey of prayer, holding God's hand and traversing the landscape together is an exciting one. God be with you till we meet again By his counsels guide uphold you With his sheep's
Thank you to my special guest this morning, Reverend Richard Littledale. And I'm hoping that Richard will be joining us again each week during Advent with a series of reflections taken from his book called 37 Kings and a Budgerigar. How good a title is that? And now it's time to join Ruth Rice again. Last week, we paused in Ruth's alphabet of well-being so that she could tell us about the well-being retreat that she's leading at the end of this month at our retreat house, Tidevay, House of Life, in Peel. But now Ruth resumes her A to Z of well-being that's inspired by her own personal faith but offered to everyone in the hope that the tips and coping strategies that she has found helpful following her breakdown might help us too. We've now reached the letter S. S in the A to Z of Ruth is for shh. It's all about being quiet. Those who know me will smile at this one because I do know lots of words. I use all of them quite a lot. Always have done. And my father-in-law once uh, said to me when I was complaining of having mouth ulcers that he thought it was probably friction. <laughs> so when I found myself unable to talk for nearly a year on and off with this laryngitis that turned into a year of very, very poor health, um, it was funny at first. And it was a bit like, oh, speak up, mum. And you know, actually... It was really hard not to be able to be the person that I feel I'm created to be with lots of chatter and, and being able to um, to talk. Um, but actually, I learned some stuff in the quiet and there were times when it was really hard, but other times when that quiet moment gave me a chance to let my thoughts settle, to be able to hear the voice, the whisper of the one who made me, to listen to other people for a change. <laughs> So I wonder whether shh could be something that we all need to hear. There's a little word in the Psalms that's selah in the Hebrew, and it just is pause and think, pause and rest your mouth almost. And that comes frequently throughout these Psalms, these poems. Maybe we need some more selah, some more shh moments. I know I do. S for shh. Thank you, Ruth Rice, and Ruth will be back with us again next week. And details of Ruth's well-being retreat at Tide of A in Peel at the end of this month can be found on the website retreathouse.im or phone 609-299, 609-299. And now let's finish with a look at our notice board. And there's a warm welcome for everyone to Balafesson Harvest Service this afternoon at 3 o'clock. The service is led by Rita Norrie and will be followed by an afternoon tea. This is Harvest Weekend at the Howe Chapel, starting very soon with the Sunday School Children's Service this morning at 11. Evening service, led by Rita Norrie, starts at the Howe tonight at half past six. It'll include items by the children and is followed by refreshments. Then tomorrow night, Monday the 17th, it's the Howe Annual Concert led by the Londu Male Voice Choir. This starts at half past seven and tickets are £7 each, which includes the Howe Legendary Harvest Supper. There'll also be a sale of harvest produce. The Cool Chapel Harvest Service will be held this evening at half past six, when the preacher will be Reverend Sean Turner, and the service will include items by the young people of the Cool. 
The harvest celebrations continue tomorrow, Monday evening, the 17th, at 7 o'clock, when you're warmly invited back to the cool to enjoy a hot pot supper and a quiz at a cost of £10 per person. And the Mariners' Choir will be in Baldrine Methodist Chapel tonight for a combined harvest and mariners' service starting at half past six, at which Reverend Brian Yardy will preach. The service will be followed as usual by supper and community hymn singing. The Sound of Eternity Worship in Manx and English at Ballabeg Methodist Chapel is this evening at half past six. The service will be led by Reverend Dr Janet Corlett, who will be asking the question, Does God speak Manx? There will be musical help from members of the Manx Choir Kirjin Kujak, harpist Krista McCartney will play and there will be refreshments after the service. Looking ahead to next weekend, and we welcome not one but two visiting choirs, the Liverpool Cathedral Choir and the Broughton Boys Choir. The Liverpool Cathedral Choir, the Peel Cathedral Choir and the Kirkmichael Chamber Orchestra will be performing Vivaldi's Gloria in Peel Cathedral at half past seven next Saturday the 22nd. Tickets are available on the door at £10 each. And next Sunday evening at 7 o'clock, Liverpool Cathedral Choir will be in concert at St George's Church here in Douglas. Entry is free with a retiring collection in aid of parish funds. And some very welcome news from our good friend John Catterall, musical director of the Broughton Boys Choir. After some 20 months of disruption to the choir and indeed to church life at Broughton, John has started rebuilding his choir and he's bringing a small group of choristers to the island later this week. It'll be a smaller group and they'll be singing fewer services, but it will be good to welcome them back again. They'll start their tour in St Thomas's Church here in Douglas, singing Evensong at 8 o'clock next Saturday evening, the 22nd. Then singing again at the Eucharist at St Thomas's at 11 o'clock next Sunday morning. Next Sunday evening, you'll find the choristers in St Paul's Church in Ramsey for Evensong at half past six. They'll also be singing Evensong on Tuesday the 25th in the Abbey Church in Balasala and on Wednesday the 26th in St Matthew's in Douglas, both services at 8pm. The choristers will, as usual, be working on their music each morning and then relaxing and enjoying the island each afternoon, and we wish them a very happy time with us. And finally, next Sunday the 23rd is harvest time at Abbeylands Chapel with two services next Sunday, an afternoon service at three led by Mrs Elaine Christian and an evening service at half past six with Mrs Marilyn Cannell. Then on Monday the 24th at seven o'clock there'll be a short service followed by the sale of harvest produce, supper and entertainment. That's harvest at Abbeylands next weekend. And that's all that we have time for now. I'll be back tonight at nine with Sundown. Easy listening music to round off your weekend. And I'd love you to join me if you can. Do please email me if you've got items for the notice board. My address is judithlay at manxradio.com. So till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening. And I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. Oh, 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 oh,